0: here at the front such knowledge is too wonderful for me it's high I cannot attain it and when we talk about the providence of God we're talking about something that is so far beyond our ability to comprehend it we can comprehend it in little pieces Uh, there are things that God does for us and has done in our lives that He just doesn't explain everything or we don't understand everything or he'll let us understand pieces of it, uh, sort of such as it is. Uh, Many times the the things and these more difficult truths are understood through process. We have to walk with him a little longer in order for certain things to kind of become manifest to our sort of finite minds. And I wanna, I wanna say that those, you know, I'm always um, encouraged by uh, the reading, when I, I've read about um, may, maybe a, an abbot from some uh, monastery back in the 12th century or something like that, and the way they speak about God is on such an intimate level that it's like only because uh, of certain things, did he ever get to that place? And um, and I want to. I just want to say that I don't pr- pretend to understand this, um, even in a, in a scratch the surface kind of way. It's it's very difficult. And I I say here that the finite is never going to comprehend the infinite. Um, and there are some things that are going to be left on the table. And then, when we have an eternity with God, unclouded, our minds are unclouded by sin and ourselves, that we will at some point be able to understand more and more of this. So, it's all right, so in the past few weeks, uh, past several weeks, we've looked at things like uh, God's Word. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's eternal. Uh, it's not a matter of man's own interpretation. We looked at God himself and how this is a God who is self-existent. He didn't need anything else. He didn't evolve into something because here, this is kind of an interesting thing. Something never comes from nothing. And so in order for, that, uh, order for God to exist, he had to be always, right? Right? Something never comes from nothing, so there had to be something there. Um, We looked at his immutability, we looked at his character, and that his number one quality is his holiness. That's what makes the gospel necessary. Um, We looked at his eternal decree. He did ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby neither God is the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, And then later it says, uh, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future. Um, God does not offer sin. He uh, does not, as a result of his providence, do violence to our nature. And how that's even possible... I have trouble even kind of understanding that in some degree. And then he says that the things that he knows is not because he has any foreknowledge of what's going to happen. He just knows it. You know, if he had foreknowledge and he made decrees based on his foreknowledge, it would make him clairvoyant, but it wouldn't make him sovereign. And so, um, and then also in God's creation, right? He creates ex nihilo. He creates from nothing, right? And so I think, I don't know if I made reference to this in the past, but there there are times when I was talking to my students and would say, okay, so think about eternity, right? What does eternity look like? And they're thinking, well, I can kind of see if It's like a real long time and it's not gonna quit, and we won't die, and we won't do this. And so our, our ideas of eternity tend to be sort of rooted in what's it going to be, right? Well, what was it in eternity past? There, there's an eternity past, and it's like, already, and then the little gray cells start to bubble and stuff, and it's like, I don't even get this, this is awesome, you know? Okay, so then we wanna look at, uh, why God does what he does. Right? We see in Psalms he says he does whatever he pleases um, in Ephesians according to his purpose who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I will, I will say this, that when it uses the word all, I would, I would submit to you that he's not speaking in hyperbole here. Right, he means what he said. He means all, right? He also works everything according, you know, so that it's for his glory. We learned about that when we talked about who God is. His bottom line is always his glory, and so when we get to something like uh, creating out of nothing. It's just this fantastic, unbelievable thing. And we have this God where there is a lot of mystery. There's a lot of mystery. We as Presbyterians can make an academic exercise out of anything. And we have done it frequently. But there's a lot of things that we need to realize that, you know what? We just don't have an explanation for that. And sometimes we just have to believe it because God said, believe this. And it kind of makes me think of well, how many times does God have to say, "Believe this," before we believe it, right? It's not like He's sitting up there going, "I'm going to count to three, and then by three you better believe it." He just says, "Believe it," right? All right. Um, so God does what He wants to do, what He wants to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it, for His own glory and His own pleasure. Period. So then, we, the reason I bring that up is, we're gonna see some things today that sort of fit into that, uh, largely fit into that, and we may not have a great explanation sort of for that. So, uh, so we'll start this. When, when, when we look at providence, uh, what, are, what, what comes to mind when you think of providence? This is a question, it's not a rhetorical question. A little audience participation here, or I'll start calling on volunteers. How's that? We do that. What is it? Rhode Island. Rhode Island, oh. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's why we're having this class, by the way, because people say stuff like that, right? All right, what's, what's Providence? Blake, what's Providence? Okay. Uh, I usually think of like the story of Joseph and, and all, how all that played out. Yeah, there's some great, s- Job, right. these are great stories. It's, and, it, and at least in some capacity, it's about how God cares for us. It's about how, I looked, at, I looked up in the dictionary, and I thought, boy, this is going to be a good one. And it it was it was it was interesting. It's sort of like how God has decided to care for His people. Now, it didn't give us much. uh, It didn't give me any sort of theological thing, except that it mentioned God in the in the definition. Well, we look at things like um, the different ways sort of providence manifests itself, and we look in terms of things like. And the philosophers do this, and that's why I'm a historian, because I don't, I'm not a philosopher. But we look in terms of things like first causes. All right? God did this. Right, the pro- First causes are things... Uh, I say here that God's... Dickshorn, ben Dixhorn says God's perfect providence is the working out of his perfect predestination, his planning and ordering of all things in eternity... Therefore, all things come to pass unchangeably and without error. And I love this phrase that he used in this book. He said, God is the executor of his own will. God is the executor of his own will. And I... You know, when you look at that, it's like, well, there's so many things that are just running through my mind. I mean, we're looking at, we've got to deal with the idea of, well, is this like determination? Is he like this great puppet master who's up there kind of pulling the strings and kind of doing all that? And um, I would say in some cases, you'd probably have to go, maybe. Um, Then we look at second causes. Um, And the... um, Westminster Confession talks about both of these to some degree. It said that, <laughs> that God, God is autonomous from all things. The things that he does and the things that he says are not contingent upon any other thing happening. And so we begin to see this guy, you know, I, this, I had this, I don't I want to use the word extraordinary, but this kind of this thought that this is just making God bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're getting to know who this God is, and it makes me go, yeah, when I kind of walk into church and my heart's not ready, I, you, you need to be a little afraid. Um, and he says he's chosen to make a world that behaves according to patterns and regularities, uh, where some events or actions can even cause other actions. And I put in here, A quote from Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances or laws of the moon and stars for a light by night who disturbs the sea and the waves roar. He has put certain things into effect that do things. So, uh, for example, um, he, he is not limited to perform in any certain way. But we know that when Paul... Was on, uh, was on one of the, he was in a prison on a ship, and he goes across the Mediterranean Sea. They get into a storm, and as they get into this storm, the ship begins to break up, and God does not intervene and go, no, the ship sank, right? And they kind of paddling on pieces of wood going back to shore. But in the Sea of Galilee we see this picture of this storm coming up and Jesus is in the boat. And at that time, he did intervene in a miraculous sort of way that was, that was beyond the things that he created to act like what they were to act like. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. All right, I want to read uh, um, chapter 5, uh, section 1, just a second of... Uh, the confession, and it says, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free, immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Um, Who's the other one I wanted to read here? All right. All right, we're gonna we're gonna go from there. And and so in, in two it says, although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God. The first cause of all, God, the first cause of all things, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out, or which means um, to occur. And that's a typo there, because I typed, that was a cold medication talking. It should say, in the parentheses, it should say occur, not fall out. It's like, well, duh. Uh, according to the nature of second causes. So none of this he's he is required to obey. He makes his own laws, and he does what he wants, and sometimes he does miraculous things, and other times he allows it to happen. So um, I looked at it. There's another guy I looked at, a guy named Grudem, and he says it this way, and it was kind of helpful for me to understand it a little better. He said, God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that, One, he keeps them existing, and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Uh, Two, he cooperates with the created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And finally, he directs them to fulfill his purposes. So we look at these sort of, I thought three subtopics were kind of interesting. So we look at the preservation, the thing that God does that keeps these things existing and maintain the properties with which he created them. We find in Hebrews that Christ is upholding all things by the word of his power. In Colossians, that we find that all things were created uh, by him and for him. He's before all things, and in in him all things consist. (coughs) And I wanted to go to, and then a couple others, uh, in Acts, we in God we live and move and have our being, um, and finally in Nehemiah, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven the heavens, of heavens with their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that are in them. You preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So we find when God creates, this is kind of nice, that He makes grass act like grass, right? He makes uh, water, he gives certain properties to water. And that water and it always acts like water. Uh, and I use an example here, paper. Uh, you know, he, he paper acts like paper. You put ink on paper, ink acts like ink on paper. But what happens if he hadn't done that? What happens if the sort of the laws of physics that, that happen all the time that we're very used to, if the laws of friction and whatever, all that goes, whatever, our cars wouldn't drive every day? Sometimes they don't drive every day anyway, right? But, but there are certain laws that, that, that we have grown to expect. So, that's, so that we would expect that we're, when we're having a conversation with someone, that we're not going to be sitting there talking to them, and all of a sudden we're going to go up in a puff of smoke somewhere. And and these are all the ways that God has put together His universe, and and we have become quite uh, used to that. But He's going to say in Job, to this, you know, when I I love the passage in the passage in Job, which goes from about I think like thirty-eight to forty-one or something chapters, because Job is sort of talking to God and he's like. Why is this? And God just sits there and does this awesome. Do you know this? Do you know this? how about how about okay, so you declare to me how this works. And he has said in here, and I, I bring this up, I can get on job here, I gotta quit it. It's like he has said to the to the sea this far and no farther. And he has put into things, so we're, you know, this is how his, this is one way his providence works, right? So we're still talking a little bit about first causes and how he does this. Uh, But uh, he also uh, has put in here things that um, um, he cooperates with the things that he has made in order to achieve certain things. He cooperates with the sea. Right. If he wants, if he's going to judge something, he sends a tsunami. And we're looking at God's character, and we're going, "Well, why would he send a tsunami and all those people die?" Well, how many of those people deserved anything? How how many of us, let me say it that way, deserve anything else? I mean, it's all. And these are big. These are big. And we see that he uses those things that he has created in order to achieve his purposes. And it's about our lives, in some cases, uh, how are we going to work with God to achieve his purposes. And I say work with God, meaning be on, have him tell us what he wants us to do. Um, it's not always evident from natural observation what God is doing. We see how he uh, works with inanimate things. He, uh, I, I put in here this thing uh, in Job where he talks about the snow. He has the snow fall um, on the earth. He tells the beasts to go into dens. He sends rain. He saturates the clouds. Uh, and he commands them with animals. He gives them their food. Uh, and he says, you open their hand and they are filled. You take away their breath and they die. And so we're beginning to see a picture of God's, God didn't just, contrary to how many of us kind of look at this, God did not just sort of wind this thing up and take a step back. Now let's see how it works. He's always and continually involved in his creation and working with us as people within his creation, and it, it, it acts like this. And we're kind of like saying, well, what, Yeah, you know, I have free will and I have all this. Well, do you? How free is it? And so um, he deals with the affairs of nations. God makes nations great and destroys them. All right, why would he destroy a nation? You may think of any nations he's destroyed in the past. <coughs> What's he destroyed in the past? Just about, all. Just about- <laughs> Just, amen, right? <laughs> so why, so, okay, so let me ask you this. Why would God destroy a nation? Because he's just kind of capricious like Allah, and he's going to go poof. You said something? No? Just judgment. Judgment, right? For what? For not adhering to his laws. Okay, for not adhering to his laws. He's he certain. Glory when he does that. He raises up nations and he can bring them down. Yeah, absolutely. Even the wicked... God uses to achieve his purposes, right? He doesn't, well, well I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, but God is glorified by the punishment of the wicked. And is there anybody on the face of the planet who wouldn't fit in that category? There are none. So it's like, okay, and this, I'm just going, now you're looking into my twisted little mind because this is what I'm thinking about for this time when I'm going through this going, we're just very... Fortunate God is gracious, right? It's why the gospel is such good news because it it reminds me a little bit of when uh, my son, uh, when he was in, uh, I guess it was vet school, took a course on pathology. And he came out of this going, it's a wonder any of us are alive, right? The next semester, or next couple semesters, they take a class on immunology. And he goes, now I get it. And so it's a little bit, it, I kind of felt uh, sort of in that, in that way a little bit. Uh, it says here that uh, dominion is the Lord's. He rules over all nations. He has determined, listen to this. He has determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation. He was not surprised at the sin of Israel when he judges Israel and sends them into uh, captivity in Babylon for 400 years. He wasn't surprised by that. He's not surprised that our nation has told God to take a hike, and he did this time. He's not surprised by that. We're going to be surprised, but I don't think he was surprised. Uh, Or we might be surprised. Uh, You have appointed... His bounds that he cannot pass, and, and I, I I requote: in him we live and move and have our being. God influences the desires and the decisions of the people. So how is it God can tell you to go do something? You're praying, and then he affects those desires that you have and causes you to do something and how is that not a violation, as, as the confession tells us, of our wills? It's, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really honestly tell you that. I think it's a fantastic thing that we go, okay, I'll believe that. I mean, there are explanations that people use, and we're going to go to Tyler here in a minute and get a couple. But, <laughs> but um, see, this is great. When you're here, I can like say stuff to you. you know. All right. Um, So here's my question. We have willing choices, right? And then we see that he is working in us to will and to do for our good. Are our choices our choices? And by my question, I'm not saying they're not. What I'm saying, they sort of are and they're sort of not. And this is not... And the crazy thing is, this is not determination. This isn't God's just sitting around going, okay, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. Because he says he doesn't cause us to sin. He's never the author of sin. But then what? And so, um, as we run rapidly toward the end here, what time are we? we? Okay, we still have about an hour or so. Um, And so we look at, say, evil. And does God cause evil? All right. Uh, Does he cause people to do evil? Does he cause people? So how would you look at that? Because there are times when God has raised up a people to judge something. We read that. It's very clear in Scripture. So how did that happen? So we we can look at things and go well. He has chosen to he he knows who we are. He knows our implication or what is that? What's the word? I don't know. My thesaurus broke ever since I started teaching high school kids. It doesn't work anymore. Um, He has taken the the propensities that we have, our inclinations. Is the word I'm looking for? And he will use those to do... Because he knows if, if we're sinful, he'll say, go over here. All right? And we're going, well, how's that a God of love? There's just tons and tons and tons of things that we go... He didn't tell us all of this sometimes. Sometimes it's enough for us to say, okay, we believe what you did. We know that you're a good God, that you do these things... Um, it's it's just it's very complex and it bothers me sometimes when that's the case. So we know in First John it says, "For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world." Uh, James said God can't be tempted, and He doesn't tempt us. Uh, yet in some in some places, um, the. The word translated as tempt often means tested, but if it says this, it says this, and what does he mean? Um, Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time. So God does use evil events to uh, to occur and evil deeds to be done, but it's not God as the one who is doing anything evil in himself. And we say evil, I mean, you can hardly say that was great that Israel was overrun by, you know, pick the nation. Was it great that uh, Adolf Hitler overran Europe? Or Mao in China? Or whoever else is in China, is that good? Did God not have a hand in that? If he has ordained everything that has come to pass and we say we believe it, what was the part that he played? And what is our part that we play? And I I feel inadequate to answer the question because we know that this is a God that is way bigger than we can even get our minds around and somewhere in there, I'm just believing that it's going to work. I'm not going to try to, I want to know more, but I don't know that I'm going to make it in a, a big effort to try to figure it out. I will in some case, but. Uh, and here's sort of something that's also uh, <clears throat> somewhere between God, because we kind of look at it as God's permissive will. And God's prescriptive will—I well, don't know—you know how they do the alliterative thing, you know, like uh, somewhere between His permitting us and His causing something is something in theology. You sort of see this as God's decree, and I, I, I'm—I pro- I just. I don't know how that fits in exactly. I do know what the scripture says, that if the scripture says he did this, look at the explanations. Did he really do this? I, and so we just watch God's involvement in our lives in every aspect. Somehow, there's a, there's a prescriptive thing in here. But it's, 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 very, it's it was very complex for me. And, and David, you mentioned Joseph, right? Joseph's brothers... He's going to use evil in this case, the hatred of his brothers who wanted to get rid of this kid. And they're going to, they wanted to, first of all, they wanted to kill him. Then it's like, no, 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 that we can't kill him. I know what we'll do. We'll put him in a hole and just let him die. No, i tell you what, that wouldn't be so good. Let's just sell him as a slave. All right? so they sell him into Egypt. And what's... Um, What's the big, what's the really, the verse that just about everybody knows from the story of, of uh, Joseph when his brothers come to him and go, can you imagine? I, I would love to have been there. That, that is one of those moments in scriptures that when it, it's like, <laughs> it's an, I don't know what the brothers were thinking, but they had to, you know, but anyway, it's like what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And at the time, God put Joseph in slavery. God put him there. And it's like, well, and we're not talking about, like, there wasn't anybody going around, like, some person, OSHA person going, I got to make sure you got helmets on here, right? And don't, there don't, was, like, sure enough, kind of slavery. And so he did that. And also in, um, with Pharaoh. How about this one? You know? Who hardened Pharaoh's heart more than anything? God. I'm going to go tell you to go tell Pharaoh this. Moses goes, all right. So he goes in there and he tells Pharaoh this, and I don't know what Moses was expecting, but it probably wasn't what he got, at least the first time. I think (laughs) then it became a pattern, right? And the Bible says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God did it. You go do this. And now there are other places in the story that said Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the purpose of all that was what? What was God's purpose in that? What was God's purpose in that? That's a question. Say it again, I'm sorry? Yeah. It's it's a judgment. It's to get his people out. It's to to solidify the, the nation of Israel somewhere. Thank you. He did it to, to make his name great, that the people would be talking about it, and these other things happen too. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's, to me, it's just such a mystery that this is how it kind of works. But that is, that is kind of how it works. And guess what? It's the same God. right? We see in Scripture he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we go, well, God doesn't work like that today. Are you willing to bet on that? Right, are we willing to bet. So, comment, yeah. Even though Pharaoh's heart was hardened until he finally said, "We'll let the Israel go." Pharaoh did not turn to God. He did not believe in the God of Israel. Is not that right? Mm-hmm. Well, he believed there was one after this, I bet, but he didn't believe in he didn't him. In the power of God, but he just didn't right. believe and, and convert to, to the worship. Oh, of God. oh no. Right. Yeah. Uh, did God prevent him from believing? Yeah, I doubt that. You doubt that? Why? I didn't. I don't think it was relevant as far as I was thinking. It was just, it showed, God, showed Pharaoh the power of God. You okay, know, but... Least, are you saying then that that, that would make Pharaoh, uh, God would make Pharaoh believe? No. I mean, he could have. I'm just saying, do you think it was... God who prevented Pharaoh from believing but he, he so okay so this is kind of like some of the cool stuff and Tyler's making faces back here and, you're, and I'm really getting nervous about some of this because he's like D- you know I, I don't know I'm, dig- I'm digging that oh yeah I'm just saying that this is a big hole this is a big hole and I'm not afraid of holes but I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave a lot of wreckage here And the guy next week can come and kind of... Who's on next week? I hope it's Blake. You can kind of clean up my mess. Um, All right, so we don't have much time left, right? Uh, God says, but indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you, and this is what you were saying, and that my name may be declared in all the earth, and then in Romans 9, it's kind of interesting, because, I mean, we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot here, and in, in, in this one, uh, Paul anticipates uh, an argument, um, and so he says this, as his beginning at verse 16. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. And this is the argument that Paul anticipates. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? If he has caused this, if he has prevented this guy from believing, if he has caused this guy to believe and all these other things, why does he still find fault? Because he did all that. And he said, and, the other, and then he says, but indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the things formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honorable honor and another for dishonor? And these are all, the, I mean, this. the topic of this isn't exactly, the context isn't God's providence in creation and things like that, but it still is nonetheless, uh, it still kinda works here. Um, and so um, we see that whatever it is, that God, however it meets, however it kinda comes down, uh, his will that is, that we know, as Roman tells us, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And it's through this providence uh, that God leads us, humbles us, disciplines us, blesses us, and it's all to the praise of his glorious grace, period. Um, and uh, he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, um, and he might not. Um, Our hope and confidence and our joy is in the marvelous and wonderful providence of God. I'm going to leave you with something uh, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this, um, uh, of course, you're all familiar with Aslan as uh, the lion, and Susan is in this point talking to Mr. Beaver, and she said, "Oh," or he said, "Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion." He says, "Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe," said Mr. Beaver. "Who said anything about safe?" Course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you, right? So we serve a good God, whose mysteries in how He does things, whether we we know that He causes, He ordains all things whatsoever that come to pass. There's just mystery there. There's mystery, and um, so. All right, well, let's pray and we'll move on. Father, thank you.